Hit me. I'm good. Dealer has 20. No winners. New shooter coming out. Place your bets. Honey, blow on my dice for good luck. Let's do this. Come on, 7 or 11. Here we go. That's a 7. All right, let's go on a run here. Place your bets. Honey, again for good luck. Could we have your attention, please? Everybody quiet. Due to the unfortunate passing of Ben Siegel, we are now in charge of this casino. Welcome to Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Wendy McKenzie. Today, we're continuing our investigation into the murder of notorious gangster Bugsy Siegel. Who was gunned down in Beverly Hills in June of 1947? Was it a mob-sanctioned hit, a personal vendetta, or possibly a love triangle gone wrong? As far as the authorities are concerned, the case is still open and remains unsolved. This is episode 10 of Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories and the final installment of Bugsy Siegel. If you want to review an episode of Unsolved Murders or to hear our investigation into other cases, you can find them all on your favorite podcast directory. Don't forget to subscribe. You can also listen on our website, parcast.com, spelled P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com. A new episode currently comes out every Tuesday. And now... Back to Bugsy Siegel. The Brooklyn-born mobster who rose to a position of prominence in the underworld. He came from humble beginnings. Benjamin, have you completed your chores? Sure, Pop. One of five children in a poor immigrant family. He embarked on a life of crime at an early age. Hey! He took my purse! And formed his first gang as a young teenager. Time for your monthly bill. This is extortion. No, it's protection. Nothing happened to your push cart this month, right? Yeah, but... But nothing. You got security, now you gotta pay. Where he met lifelong pals and associates, Mo Sedway. Mo, what did we clear last month? I don't know. I'll have to ask Maya. And Meyer Lansky. Ben, this has to be handled discreetly. Sure, Maya. We'll try your way first. But if it doesn't work, I'm coming back with a gun. The Bugs and Meyer gang was soon providing muscle to bootleggers in New York City. Get out of the truck! Thus began a decade-long climb to the top of the underworld with all the associated perks. Mr. Siegel, so nice to have you back with us. Your usual table? Thanks. And bring us a bottle of champagne. Not to mention quite a few ladies. My, aren't you the charmer. Tell you what, doll. Stick with me. We'll make a go of it. Sounds like fun. By 1931, Bugsy Siegel and Meyer Lansky were by Lucky Luciano's side as he organized the five families in New York into the commission. No more fighting amongst ourselves. There's more than enough to go around. Bugsy and Meyer also formed the enforcement arm of the commission that would come to be known as Murder Incorporated. Ben, we need a job to be taken care of. This job got a name? It's Lewis. Consider it done. To help the mob as it expanded nationwide and to escape the heat for crimes he committed in New York, Bugsy Siegel relocated to Los Angeles. What do you say we hit the Brown Derby tonight? There he formed new rackets. Tell him we got control of the Teamsters and the Screen Actors Guild. And if he doesn't meet our price, we're going to strike. Hobnob to the studio heads and celebrities. What I like about you, Carrie, is your class all the way. Thanks, Ben. Class. That's the only thing that counts in life. Class. Without class and style, a man's a bum. Might as well be dead. And met the love of his life, 
Virginia Hill. What am I going to do with you, Virginia? Probably whatever you want. More likely whatever you want. But now he is facing his greatest challenge. Benjamin Siegel, you're under arrest for the murder of Harry Greenberg. Hey, watch the jacket. That's a houndstooth coat. Take him away, boys. As he sits in jail awaiting a trial on first-degree murder. The stakes couldn't be higher. Because if Bugsy Siegel can't beat the rap, he's looking at the gas chamber. It's 1941, and Bugsy Siegel is in jail in Los Angeles facing a murder charge in the death of Harry Big Greeny Greenberg. How soon do you get me out of here? We're working on it. Are you comfortable? The food, the girls? That's all swell, but I'm still in the cage. I'll see what I can do. When do I go home for good? You have to be patient. The state has witnesses. Bugsy had reason to be confident. Although he had been arrested over the years for everything from possession of narcotics to murder, he had never been convicted of a serious crime. And his one conviction for any crime came in Florida in 1932. Benjamin Siegel, on the charge of gambling and vagrancy, how do you plead? Guilty, Your Honor. You are hereby sentenced to pay a fine of $100. Let me get my wallet. Here you are. Having made restitution, you are free to go. Thank you, Your Honor. But getting out of this situation will not be so carefree. Because there are witnesses, and the state has a solid case. Of course, this being Bugsy Siegel, he was already working on a solution. No surprise there. Keep in mind that in the 1940s, there was lots of corruption in the Los Angeles penal system. And what exactly did that mean? With payoffs to the right people, Bugsy Siegel was able to maintain a certain lifestyle, even behind bars. Is there anything else you need, Mr. Siegel? No, thanks for the smokes. By claiming that prison food disagreed with his system, he got to bring in his own meals. Mr. Siegel, your chef is here. Chef, what do you got for me tonight? I made you lasagna bolognese. He also got other special privileges. Mr. Siegel, you have a visitor? Hi, Ben. Hey, dog, come on in. Why don't you leave us alone while we discuss my case? Sure thing, Mr. Siegel. And perhaps most surprising of all... There were times when he was actually let out of jail. You're kidding. They let him out? That's right. He was spotted out on the streets of L.A. Ben, is that you? I thought you got pinched. They let me out so I can go see the dentist. Don't my teeth look great? So much for being locked up. It was just another case of Bugsy getting his way. But the murder charge. Well, at one point it was dismissed. After the prosecutor in New York wouldn't let a mob informant travel to L.A. to testify. But once it was reinstated, the man in New York who was going to finger Bugsy in the murder-for-hire plot died mysteriously in police custody. What happened? The official story is that he fell, trying to escape. And the unofficial story? He was tossed from the window by corrupt policemen. Ah! Either way, no testimony. And when the case finally came to trial, it was no surprise that the verdict, We find the defendant not guilty, came back in Bugsy's favor. The defendant is free to go. But ironically, having dodged that bullet, he would soon turn his attention to the project which would ultimately prove his undoing, the Flamingo Hotel. Bugsy Siegel was a man who thought big. He once arranged a trip to search for buried treasure in Costa Rica. We'll get a big boat, have us a swell time, and then knock off a big score. What do you say? Any luck? Mm, Well, no buried treasure, but I'm sure it was a lovely trip. And Bugsy once tried to sell explosives to Benito Mussolini. The Italian dictator? Yes, that was back in 1939. 
Bugsy hooked up with an Italian countess, Dorothy Di Frasso, and hatched a scheme where they would sell Mussolini atomite. Atomite, Ben. It's a more explosive form of a dynamite. Are you sure the chemists who invented this are on the up and up? They seem kind of shifty to me. Turns out when they got to Mussolini, the demonstration was a bust. I'm sure Mussolini wasn't happy. Mm, he wasn't. He banished the countess from her villa. Interesting side note, while in Italy, Bugsy ran into Hermann Göring. The Nazi leader? Yes, Hitler's second in command. And years later, Bugsy would say, Yeah, I met Göring once. Couldn't stand the son of a bitch. Should have killed him right there. Might have saved us a whole lot of trouble. But those adventures are behind him. And the opportunity he was focused on now was in Nevada. Virginia, we can go legit. Here in Las Vegas, gambling, the booze, the broads, it's all legal. But who's gonna wanna come to this cow town? Exactly. Who wants to go to some frontier-themed dump? We're gonna make it classy. Build a hotel that's the best in the world. The finest accommodations, the finest food, the finest entertainment. You're crazy. You know, make it like the casinos down in Cuba. Ben, Las Vegas ain't Havana. Yeah. When I'm through, it'll be better. When William Wilkerson, who owned a hotel in Vegas, was having money problems, Bugsy saw his opportunity. Billy, I can arrange a loan and we'll be partners. Your cash flow problems are over. And pretty soon, Wilkerson was muscled out, and the syndicate took complete control of the hotel. That's what happens when you get in business with the mob. The new venture was called the Flamingo Hotel, and it was Bugsy's baby. Let's do a walkthrough. As construction proceeded, he was incredibly hands-on. The bathroom isn't right. I don't like the fixtures. They look cheap. Let's tear them out, put in new ones. But don't butt me. Just do it. All of this must have cost a lot. It did. And this was 1946, right after World War II, so the post-war shortages were making materials more expensive. But Bugsy had his vision. Everyone's gonna want to come here. From the biggest Hollywood star to some tourist from Peoria. The world-famous Flamingo. There was a pond in front of the hotel, and that gave Bugsy an idea. We're going to bring in live flamingos. But that was a problem, too. Uh, um, Mr. Siegel, there's a problem by the pond. What? Another flamingo dead. Not again. Sir, it's not their natural habitat. Well, bring in more. Absolutely, sir. What's someone gonna think? Driving up to the Flamingo Hotel and first thing he sees is a dead flamingo. And where was all the money coming from that was funding the construction? From the syndicate, of course and they were burning through it at a record pace. Well, obviously, Bugsy didn't have the business savvy of his old pal, Meyer Lansky. Mm -mm. By October of 1946, the project, originally budgeted for $1.7 million, had already cost $4 million. And the final cost ended up being $6 million, which is equivalent to almost $78 million today. Mr. Siegel, if you want it done in that time frame, you're going to have to pay a premium. I don't care what it costs. Just get it done. There were even reports of contractors taking advantage of the situation. Oh, gee, a dishonest contractor. Who would have guessed? Well, not only were they doubling and tripling charges, but one allegedly sold materials to Bugsy, broke into the job site and stole them, then sold them again back to Bugsy. <laughs> and Bugsy never caught on to the double dipping. He was too focused on the end result. Keep in mind, this was a man who never worried about paying back loans. It's said that when he first came to Hollywood, he used to ask movie stars for cash. Hey, can I borrow $500? Knowing they would be too afraid to ever ask for the money back. 
Right, because who's going to collect from Bugsy Siegel? Mm-hmm. The rumor is that using this tactic, in one year alone, he was able to get $400,000. Whoa. But this was not that situation. Ben, we need to talk about the hotel. You're going to love it, Meyer. You have to come and stay in the penthouse. People are asking questions. How come it's costing us so much money? Class, don't come cheap. You are sure none of this is ending up in your pocket? Or, forgive me, Virginia's? How long have I known you, Meyer? A long time. That's why I've come to talk to you. I've been hearing things. Bad things. You need to get this under control. Don't worry, Meyer. This is gonna be a huge success. Once the cash starts rolling in, all those nervous Nellies will be building us a statue. I hope so, Ben. I hope so. Bugsy Siegel was officially on notice. He had to get that flamingo project under control or face the consequences. In a town that he felt was destined to be the mecca of gambling, Bugsy Siegel was taking the biggest gamble of all. Find out if the flamingo ever opened and who killed Bugsy Siegel right after this. On Unsolved Murders, we explore the facts of real-life true crime cold cases. But if you're looking for more true crime cases with a bit of a twist, you should check out the ParCast original Female Criminals. When you think of a criminal, what do you picture? You picture a murderer, a gangster, a thief. I bet you didn't think it could be the mother around the corner or the little old lady next door. Female Criminals investigates the lives of the world's most notorious female felons and explores the stories behind their dangerous crimes. These criminals come in every form, from serial killers and assassins to bank robbers and drug lords. Female Criminals is like a mystery and crime documentary rolled into one. New episodes premiere every Wednesday. Follow Female Criminals free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, let's continue the story. It's December of 1946, and while construction continues at a furious pace on the Flamingo Hotel, there is a related development in Cuba, the Havana Conference. The Havana Conference? Lucky Luciano, who had been exiled from the United States and deported to Italy, called a meeting of all the top mob bosses in America. And it was held in Cuba because Lucky could not enter the U.S. Man, this heat... I'm sweating through my suit jacket. You'd rather be in Chicago shoveling snow? On December 22, 1946, the Havana Conference convened at the Hotel Nacional, which was controlled by Meyer Lansky. Gentlemen, thank you all for coming. You're all very important leaders, and I wanted to bring you here to discuss our business. But first, since we're in this fine hotel, let us enjoy some food and drink. Thus began a series of meetings that focused on many of the issues facing the mob. Who should run New York? How to divide up the narcotics trade? And finally, what to do about the West Coast operations of Bugsy Siegel? The next item on the agenda is the Siegel situation. You give me the nod, and no more situation. He's rubbing us blind. How much have we sunk into that money pit? All due respect, he's got to go. Gentlemen, gentlemen. At the dame, too. No respect for what's ours. I agree. He's got to go. It's only a question of who gets the paper on this. That may be the case, but let's hear Mayor out. Gentlemen, before we do anything, let's remember Ben Siegel has made us a lot of money. 
He's a fantastic earner. He ain't earning nothing now. Mm, that may soon change. The hotel and casino opens this week. I suggest we wait and see what kind of business it's doing before we come to a final decision on this. I don't need more time. Me neither. If it was anybody else, he'd be long gone by now. I'm willing to wait. Out of respect for you, Meyer. Okay. We'll table that for now. And I'd like to invite you all to a show tonight in our main lounge. Our friends from Chicago have flown in Frank Sinatra. The grand opening of the Flamingo Hotel was scheduled for December 26th, 1946. While the Havana Conference was still going on. Also still going on? Construction on the hotel. Are we ready, Ben? Don't worry, Mo. It's all gonna come together. But they're still working on the rooms. Relax. Just a few kinks to work out. It's gonna be fantastic. December 26th arrived. And was the hotel ready? No. But that didn't stop Bugsy Siegel. Ben, can we push the grand opening back? There are drop claws in the lobby. We've been promising this for months. Let's give Las Vegas a spectacle like it's never seen before. But what about the rooms? We'll just keep people up all night in the casino. If we do our job right, nobody will want to leave the party. Just wait till they see all the Hollywood stars. Bugsy has rented private planes to fly famous guests in from Los Angeles. However, there was a problem. When are the planes coming from Los Angeles? The planes never took off. The weather's too bad. Son of a- George and Jude and Vivian are here. They drove in. I better go say hello. As the night wore on, it was clear the opening was a disaster. The casino was even losing money. <laughs> I thought the house always wins. In the long run, yeah. But this was just not Bugsy Siegel's night. And because the rooms weren't ready, players took their casino winnings and went back to other hotels on the Strip. Which must have been frustrating to Bugsy. It was. At one point, he even got agitated at a guest. Who needs you? Get out of my hotel! So, not a great opening. But still, that was just one night. Unfortunately, things didn't get better as 1946 turned into 1947. Ben, we're hemorrhaging money here. We need to stop the bleeding. Are you saying we should shut down? Just temporarily, until we get things finished. This is gonna work. It has to work! Two weeks after the grand opening that Bugsy Siegel had gone all in on, the Flamingo Hotel had to close down. Although the closing of the Flamingo had put Bugsy Siegel in a tight spot, he remained optimistic about the hotel's long-term prospects. What do you think, Virginia? Won't this waterfall in the lobby be the most spectacular anyone's ever seen? Ben, what about the rooms? When is construction gonna be done? Not to worry. We'll be back up and running in no time. But I imagine his investors were not so upbeat. They were not. And it was said that only the intervention of Meyer Lansky kept Bugsy safe. I'm vouching for him. That goes a long way, but still. I appreciate it. Still, things don't turn around fast. I'll go out to the desert and bury him myself. The Flamingo reopened in March. Two months later. Welcome to the fabulous Flamingo. Have a drink. Looks like a nice crowd. See, I told you. Later on, you want to catch Danny Thomas in the showroom. And this time, it was solid. Mr. Siegel, I just wanted to tell you we had a wonderful time. We didn't take all your money? Then you have to come back again. <laughs> Soon enough, the hotel was turning a profit. But was it good enough to help Bugsy? It appeared so. Maya, have you seen the latest numbers from the Flamingo? I guess Ben was right about Las Vegas all along. So things were looking up for Bugsy. In general, yes. But there were still issues. 
some were upset with how he was handling the wire service that was the lifeblood for bookies and illegal gambling. Look, I'm running the wire here in California. That's the way it is, and that's the way it's gonna be. He also had his volatile relationship with Virginia Hill. What do you say, Virginia? Let's go down to Mexico and get married. Uh, Why would we want to do that? Because we're in love, baby. Are we? And what does love have anything to do with marriage? Wasn't Bugsy already married? He had quietly divorced his wife in 1946. So he was all in on Virginia as much as he was the Flamingo Hotel. It seems so. I need to go to Paris. I'm leaving tomorrow. Where's this coming from? What's the rush? I got some things to take care of. I can't drop everything. This isn't a trip for us. It's for me. Four days later, on June 20th, 1947, Bugsy Siegel was in the living room of Virginia's Beverly Hills home, settling in for a quiet night. Anything else, Mr. Siegel? No, thanks. I'm just going to sit here and read the paper for a bit. Very well, sir. Suddenly, and without warning, a gunshot hit Bugsy on the side of the head. Before he could react, a second gunshot struck him on the right side of his nose. Now Bugsy was tumbling to the floor, but the gunshots continued and he was hit in the lungs. Later, the coroner would list the cause of death as cerebral hemorrhage, the result of bullet wounds to the head. It's safe to assume at this point, Bugsy Siegel was dead. Still, the barrage continued from the person in the bushes outside, who had opened fire with a 30 caliber M1 carbine. More gunshots followed in quick succession. The final count would be nine shots in all. Four slugs hit Bugsy Siegel and four destroyed a statue of Bacchus that was sitting on a grand piano. After a lifetime of facing danger and always getting the upper hand, when it came to action, there was no one better. Bugsy Siegel, lying on the floor next to his still open LA Times, was dead. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the ParCast Network. And now, back to Unsolved Murders. The death of Bugsy Siegel was front-page news. And the photo of his toe tag in the morgue has become iconic. Although descriptions at the time said Bugsy was shot in the eye, he was actually hit in the cheek and his eyeball popped 15 feet away. Ugh, gross. Still, the myth persisted. That's why Mo Green in The Godfather... Who was modeled after Bugsy Siegel... ...was shot in the eye. And in subsequent years, mobsters who were shot in the eye were said to be getting the Mo Green special. Which was actually the Bugsy Siegel special. But who had committed the murder? Well, isn't it obvious it was a mob hit? Well, certainly that's what it seems like at first glance. Especially when you consider that after Bugsy died, mob associates walked into the Flamingo and took over management. Due to the unfortunate passing of Ben Siegel, we are now in charge of this casino. Some reports said this happened only 20 minutes after Bugsy was killed. Others said it was the next day. Which is a big difference. If it was only 20 minutes, they knew he was going to get whacked. If it's the next day, maybe not so much. And even if it was a mob hit, who pulled the trigger and why? Was the syndicate taking their revenge for how much money they had sunk into the Flamingo? Certainly possible. But why wouldn't they do that back in January when the Flamingo flopped? Why wait until the hotel was bringing in profits? Well, let's look at motive. Who benefited from Bugsy being dead? The answer to that is just about everyone. Most Sedway now had control of the Flamingo. Jack Dragna was now back in control of the L.A. mob. 
Meyer Lansky had peace in his empire. Meyer is the key in all this. We know Bugsy was like a brother to him. Would he have sanctioned a hit? He had already gone to bat for Bugsy on several occasions, and Bugsy had let him down. That put a lot of pressure on him. What if the reports were true that Bugsy was skimming profits? I think Meyer might reluctantly give his okay to the hit. Especially if he believed that some of the $6 million the syndicate spent on construction ended up in a Swiss bank account for Bugsy in Virginia. True. And what was Virginia Hill's role? Was it just a coincidence that she was out of town? Maybe she had a heads up. But that opens another theory. Which is? Some people think Bugsy was murdered by Virginia's brother, Chick Hill. Bugsy had given him a vicious beating in public and really embarrassed him. So he warns his sister to take off and then he shoots Bugsy? Or maybe he just knew she was gone and took his opportunity to get revenge. But would the mob have allowed one of their own to be murdered by an outsider? Maybe if it took care of their own problem. Or maybe the mob was just as puzzled as the police. Lots of suspects, but no firm evidence about who actually did it. But that opens up the possibility that there was a mystery shooter. Wait, weren't you just saying it was obviously a mob hit? As you said, that was at first glance. What if it was a mystery shooter whom no one suspected and he was able to remain under the radar because of all the attention focused on the more obvious targets? Where are you going with this? Just a couple of years ago, another theory emerged. What if the death of Bugsy Siegel wasn't because of money or mob politics. What if it was because of love? In 2014, a new theory emerged to who could have killed Bugsy Siegel. You remember Mo Sedway? Yes, Bugsy's lifelong friend who was his partner in running the Flamingo. Mo married a red-haired spitfire named Bee. Bee not only had a front row seat to Mo and Bugsy's activities, but she was given advice from Bugsy himself. Whenever you walk into any room, hold your head high and hesitate a little. Look all around like you own the place. If you walk in like that, they'll figure you're someone important. But if you walk in all hunched up and embarrassed, that's how you're going to be treated. According to B, Bugsy grew tired of Mo looking over the finances at the Flamingo because he felt Mo was a watchdog for Meyer and the mob. So Bugsy called a meeting in the desert without Mo present. I want Mo out. Gone. How are you going to do that? Simple. I'll have Mo shot, chop up his body, feed it to the Flamingo Hotel's kitchen garbage disposal. Word of this got back to Mo, and he told B. We got to make sure you got enough money put away. I may not be around much longer. What are you talking about? I'm talking Ben wants me gone. I'm calling Moose. He'll stay with you day and night. Who is Moose? Matthew Moose Panza was B's lover. And Mo knew who Moose was? Yes, in fact, Mo had met Moose years before and laid down all the ground rules. When I'm around, she'll be with me. And if you really love her, you'll let us stay together. But when I'm not around, you can stay here at the house. Okay. Let's shake on it. And now, Bee was arranging for her lover to be your husband's bodyguard. Don't worry. Moose is going to protect you and stay with you day and night. Will he do that for me? He will do it for me. Moose began protecting Mo. And as awkward as it was, the husband and his wife's lover became fast friends. But then Mo held his own meeting in Las Vegas, this time without Bugsy around. Ben has to be gotten rid of. I can take care of it. No, Moose, this is our business. But that's why it's perfect. A Slavic crane operator with no criminal record. I'd never be suspected. What about the shooting? Well, that ain't such a hard thing. I can shoot. I always went hunting and things with my father. 
Moose got a rifle from an old army buddy and went out into the desert to practice. On the night of June 20th, he followed Bugsy first to the Beverly Hills Hotel, where Bugsy bought a newspaper and chapstick. Then to Virginia Hills' home, after Bugsy settled in, Moose walked up the driveway, through the flower bed, and rested his carbine on the windowsill. So that's how it happened. According to B. That's the problem. It's all according to B. She's the one telling the story, and there's nothing else to corroborate it. So you think it's a story told by a lady to exaggerate her importance? I just think it's much more likely to have been a mob hit than this love triangle. Maybe the hit was ordered and Moose turned out to be the trigger man. That ties up both theories nicely. But I think the gunman was Frankie Carbo. He was a member of Murder Incorporated, so this was his business. And he knew Bugsy intimately because they were both in on the Harry Greenberg hit. Huh. I can't disagree with your logic, but I still like Moose. I guess then we'll have to let the audience decide. Do you think the murderer was Frankie Carbo acting on orders from the mob? Or Matthew Moose Panza doing the bidding of his lover's husband? Or maybe you like Chick Hill, the Marine brother of Virginia Hill. Let us know in our Facebook poll. Bugsy Siegel is buried at Hollywood Forever Cemetery, the final resting place of such luminaries as Douglas Fairbanks, Cecil B. DeMille, and Jane Mansfield. His kind of crowd. And in 1991, Warren Beatty starred in the movie Bugsy, with Annette Bening as Virginia Hill. It had only taken 45 years after his death, but Bugsy Siegel was finally a movie star. And as for his vision of Las Vegas, the ostentatious hotels, the casinos churning out massive profits, the glitz and glamour that would attract high rollers and tourists alike. Bugsy was spot on. Was there a Las Vegas before Bugsy Siegel got there? Sure. Would Vegas have become the giant entity it is today without Siegel around? Almost definitely. But Bugsy played a pivotal role and served as a role model for the flamboyant casino owners who would follow. Only the finest, boys. Class all the way. Though he toiled on the wrong side of the law, Benjamin Siegel is a classic American tale of a poor child of immigrants starting at the bottom and through his own talents working his way to the very top of his profession. It's just unfortunate that when it came to his greatest triumph, he didn't live to see it. Can you picture it, Virginia? Can you? Don't forget to subscribe to Unsolved Murders on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. Or through our website, parcast.com. That's P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com. A new episode of Unsolved Murders comes out every Tuesday. Let us know what you think and join the conversation on our Parcast Facebook page. You can tweet us at Parcast Network. That's P-A-R-C-A-S-T Network. We thank you for listening. And we hope you'll join us next Tuesday when we start our investigation into the Black Dahlia. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Wendy McKenzie. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is a part of the Parcast Network. It's produced by Ron and Max Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, and written by Stephen DeLello, Unsolved Murders True Crime Story stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKenzie. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, in alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Stephen Pinto, Gregory Polson, and Vanessa Richardson. Mm-hmm.